it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Well, yes, James, it certainly is good to speak about beer. G'day, beer lovers. I'm Radio Brews News co-host Pete Mitchum, and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer as a Conversation, our weekly catch-up with the people who are making the modern beer world such a wonderful and colourful landscape. In this series, we go beneath the branding to get to the business basics, the marketing tips and tricks, and most importantly, the stories that paint the often unseen picture behind the profile pics of the people who make the beers we know and love to share. This week, I pop into one of my new locals to have a beer with Sean Ryan from Killer Sprocket. The bearded heavy metal funny man, his words, has been brewing for almost a decade, but has only recently set up shop of his own in the outer southeast of Melbourne. It's been a long and very interesting journey, and we take a bit of time to compare the contract and share brewing model that he employed in the beginning with the economics and the price flexibility of brewing his own product on his own kit. An interesting tangent we head off into in a bit of depth is the concept of entrepreneur university or formally studying the dark arts of entrepreneurship. It leads to some interesting stories and sheds some light on the way Sean has built his brand. It's a great chat, especially for those thinking about taking the great leap forward and starting their own brewery. Enjoy the conversation. Sean Ryan, thank you for joining us on Beer as a Conversation. Thanks very much, Prof. Mate, it's been a long time coming. We we had this all planned and it was time to coincide with the opening of your, without giving too much away, but your brand new venue, although I think I did mention it in the intro, so spoiler alert. Um, and then, of course, something uh, called COVID-19 conspired to thwart our best efforts, but um, we finally made it and, and here we are at uh, Killer Sprocket HQ. Yes, yes. Mate, tell us about the, uh, for those who don't know the Sean Ryan story, tell us the story of how you got here to this point bit of a winding road <laughs> type thing so I guess started off um, my beer journey was uh, when I first moved out of home sort of as most people sort of discover beer probably in the same sort of now, way paint the picture for us where's where's home uh, so I was uh, in Wonturner in the uh, eastern suburbs of Melbourne and then um, my parents were going through a divorce and they were selling the house and I kind of didn't really want to live with either one of them, so I had to uh, I had to find somewhere to live. <laughs> which, which is tough because you were six years old at the time. That's right, I was. I was. I um I, I say that I'm one of the few people that that uh, was a kid that lost stuff in the divorce. I lost my Monopoly board. I lost my cutlery. I lost some pots and pans. I lost a lot of stuff in that in that divorce. It was quite sad. <laughs> but where did where did you land? So um, what I did is actually a really really close friend of mine, um, uh, Matt. Uh, Lick, who um, did some podcasts and other stuff with me and has done, anyone that sort of followed the Killer Sprocket journey has probably met him uh, around about. He, uh, he ended up um, moving out with me. So we'd been friends since we were five. And um, I pretty much called him and I said, look, I'm, I'm moving out, I need, I need a housemate. And he was in Torquay at the time and he went, ah, oh, yeah, cool. Well, he was there on a holiday and he goes, yeah, yeah, all right. So sight unseen, he actually um, <laughs> just said, yeah, right, I'll, I'll move in with you. Sign as I please. Yeah, so exactly. Go. So I found the place and uh, and then, yeah, when he got back from holiday, I was like, here's our new address. <laughs> and he rocked up. And we were the first of our sort of friendship group to um, to move out of, of home. So everyone would just come and crash. And it was this tiny little flat, like a two-bedroom flat. And it was just from Friday to Sunday, it was just like a sea of people it was just unbelievable because we were the first to move out people just turn up with beer like just slabs of beer and it was um so yeah we moved into was uh, like by way of a preemptive apology essentially, i'm sorry for what i'm going to do to well no essentially <laughs> it was just they just assumed there's going to be a party at that you know at, at all times so they would just turn up with a slab which is what you did as you did yeah. you know what i mean you, you, you don't turn up empty-handed you know so um yeah it was in in uh in in Mitcham, so we had this for the size of the house. The kitchen was enormous, and it just it the kitchen was bigger than the bedrooms. Like I don't know, I don't know who designed this. You know, Escher, I believe. I don't know who. Or, who or a chef. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we just ended up with this stack of of slabs of beer just piling up in the corner. And at the time, I didn't drink beer at all. 
Um, and the water, the place was very old and the water was the colour of beer. Uh, actually, it was a little bit darker. It was about the colour of my beer. And, uh, and I was bemoaning the fact that I can't afford um, to buy the booze that I wanted to, to buy. Um, and, uh, and I don't like drinking the water. And, you know, it's, it's bloody terrible. And Matt pointed out, mate, there is a pile of slabs in the corner. Just start drinking beer. And I'm like, I don't like beer. And he goes, I don't know if you realise, but across the road there is a $5 pizza store and you have got a, like a pile of slabs in, in your kitchen. Like, this is paradise. You need to learn to drink beer. So uh, I appreciated the uh, the finer art of, uh, of drinking beer. Sean, to give us a little bit of context, what, what year, this, year this are, is, are we? Uh, Mid- yeah, this would have been 2002, I think, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so little creatures is—it's possible that little creatures might be one of those slaves, but it's also very likely that it's still at that tail end of it every, everything draft. is mainstream. Everything was yeah. Carlton Draft, so it was yeah. That's that's the only beer that that uh, my mates could afford was Carlton Draft. Uh, that and it paired well with the uh, five dollar pizza I found. Um, so yeah, so we'd, we'd have this um, yeah we'd, we'd be drinking the, these these things and then uh, I. Sort of, you know, as we as we we're sort of going through that, we um, I had a mate who had an uncle that was like, if you want cheaper beer than Carlton Draft, you can homebrew. As another mate of mine, um, uh, Brad, and they and he got sort of his uncle's old Cooper's kit, so he came to me one day and said, I'm making my own beer, and it's cheaper, and it was for <laughs> for what he was doing. And uh, I remember tasting going, this isn't much better than Carlton Draft, but it's a damn slight cheaper. So you, you didn't have a beer palette, at the, a beer background at this stage? Not at all. Did you have a science bent at all? No, no, not at all. So, so the homebrewing was literally, you, you were learn, yeah. making it up as you went along? Well, it was more the fact that he was homebrewing and I was like, I reckon I could be better than him. So I reckon I could do it. And then um, we ended up, I ended up buying a sort of my own Cooper's kit to try to like make my own cheap beer. And um, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, was studying um, biomedical science. So she had a science background and she understood things like sanitation. You might want to clean, clean that. Things yeah. and, and how, <laughs> and, and you know, and you know, I remember getting the Cooper's kit popping in the, uh, I think it might've even been a video maybe at the time. I don't think, it had switched, it might have been one of the first sort of DVDs. DVDs. Yep. You know what I mean? Paul Mercurio in his kitchen showing you how to make a Cooper's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, so started making these beers and, and then there were different sort of kits. You had like your Amber Ale kit and your Lager kit and your, it was all like... It was like, a Canadian you're, you're blonde. Gonna, yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. You're not going to make a Lager in your, in your Cooper's kit, but you know, it's that style. So, um, so yeah, so I started making that. And then from there, I just wanted to sort of taste those styles of beer to sort of see what other things there were. So we started going to like, you know, other bars and stuff and drinking different types of beers to sort of see what other things there were. And, um, and now, I grew up in the Eastern suburbs. Yeah. Um, with a surname like Mitchum, it's not surprising to know, actually, that was my stomping ground was, was Mitchum. Went to school there, worked there, all that sort of thing. There's not a lot of, and especially early 2000s, mm. there wasn't a lot of choice. We used to have what we call, um, pretty much still is, East of Glen Ferry. So yep. once you get East of Glen Ferry, it's pretty much your big ALH. It's the Coach and Horses, it's the Manhattan, it's the Mitchum yep. Hotel, it's all that. Yep. Pokies, cheap uh, counter meals. And lots of carton draft. Yeah, where were you right. finding where where were you finding beer that I couldn't? So we two places actually. So um, my mate with the kit discovered this uh, this small um, bottle shop that he had to take me to called Purvis, which was an You're going to Surrey thing. Hills. Yeah, which is unbelievable. That's not local. And then uh, for some unknown reason, and they. It was never repeated. They did one time only. The Dan Murphys at the Burvale did a beer showcase where they had a hundred different like craft beers on and it was five bucks and you could drink as much as you want. Now, you could probably understand why they never did that again. Cause, uh, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, we, we really got our money's worth. Uh, and that Burvale doesn't have a toilet, but the hotel behind it does. 
and they would allow pass outs, which like they never, they never, I don't, I think I know why they never did that again, but <laughs> you know, that was the best day. And my mate got three coffee tables on the way home because it was hard rubbish day. So, you know, it was a great day all round. <laughs> Hashtag winning. Yeah. So that, so that's inspired you, I guess it's taken you out of this. I don't even like beer to, yeah. I'm going to have a crack at, at making it, which is a, which yeah. is a fair jump. Now at the same time, and a lot of people will know, and in my intro, I think I might have referred to you as the uh, the bearded heavy metal funny man, yeah. um, which kind of ticks you know most of the boxes, except I left out Brewer. Yep. Um, were you doing stand up comedy at this point, or was this still to come? Or? Uh, yeah, I was. I was doing. It's hard to sort of remember when these things. So I think it all it all sort of blurs together of, of that. But yeah, I was doing sure, stand up. It's only twenty years ago. I know, I know. But I've drunk a lot of beer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I was doing stand up, but I had I was doing stand up and I was home brewing. Um, but I had never even thought about getting into brewing properly, like as a commercial. Okay, so so Killer Sprocket wasn't even a dream. No, at no, this no, point, no, not at all, not at all. It was just a. I, I just I really loved beer and I enjoyed brewing because it was something that was kind of interesting to do. Um, it, I found very rapidly that you don't actually save money home brewing if you do it properly because you just want to always be getting better ingredients and doing more interesting things and you end up spending more expensive equipment. Oh, exactly. You, you spend a lot of money on, on it, on, on this hobby of, uh, of brewing. And then, um, did that, but then what the, the thing that really sort of kicked us into, into this was when we moved from the suburbs, we moved into the city. I was working at a, at an insurance company and I started off on the phones doing sales and then moved into operations and, sales support and computery stuff and uh sort of like it was one of those sort of jobs that i kind of created for myself i'd been in call centers for a number of years and i'd wrecked my throat i couldn't talk which is a pretty big liability when you're you know, a call you're center on, operator on, yeah on a call center so i kind of created my own job of just trying to like come up with better ways of doing things and you know and and working out sort of queries and algorithms and things to to find better ways of, of mining data and stuff and then um but i was doing insane amounts of hours and i was getting you know really you know reasonably well paid but i i was working sort of i'd leave home at sort of six or seven in the morning and i'd be getting home at about eight or nine o'clock at night so i just one day i was just like I, just let's move into the city so i just ended up moving sort of a few streets away from my from my work and there was and once in the city there's just craft beer bloody everywhere and there was a craft beer bottle shop behind us behind our apartments which uh the guy was a massive red hill uh stout fan which i'm also a massive red hill stout fan and he would buy like just massive amounts of this stout so he'd and he just store it in his storeroom so you could actually go in and buy it by the year so you could ask okay, yeah, for like yep. different a seller years. release kind of yeah. yeah so you could just say oh can do you have this year's like you know a different year so it was amazing and then our local supermarket was um in south melbourne in Clarendon street which was near the prince um beer yep. store the prince yep. bottle so i went in there i remember seeing this wall of rogue beers and i was like what is this and that really sort of kicked off, you know, the different styles of beer because they just had so many different things of, of, of that. So I just tried everything that we could get our hands on, just collected every bottle and, you know, and tried every style. And, and then from there, you know, you'd sort of go and get onto sort of Brewdog and all the other ones. So, and then Microbrew Showcase. And when you don't, when you're living in the city, you don't have to actually drive back to the suburbs. You can, you can try Step on a train. Beers, exactly. You know? So it's um, that and that really sort of pushed um, pushed it, and then from there, just uh, with the brewery showcases and things like that, you'd talk to brewers, uh, and um, every time I'd talk to them, I'd sort of be like, "How did you, you know, how did you get started? What's, you know, what what's the story?" And most of them were just like, "Oh, we just decided one day we just we're going to just start a brewery, so quit our job, start a brewery." And I was just like, "How? How did you, you know, but but what like how did you what how like who?" Who let you? <laughs> you know, who who told you? Where do you, you go to do this stuff? Yeah. yeah. Where do I go to get my, my brewer's license? Well, you know, we were home brewing, and then we 
you know, we learned a little bit more, we studied some stuff, and then, yeah, we just did it. And I'm like, I homebrew. Yeah. So the so, seeds planted. Yeah. At and this then, point. Yeah, exactly. So I just... But you said you were studying. I, so at the time, I was actually working, um, I was working a full-time job, and I thought, one day, I will start a brewery. That would be, that would be my dream. And then the company I was working for ended up uh, being sold. Um, before that, they were going to go into national. So my boss was going to go overseas and then I was going to step up into her role or I was going to go overseas and do what she was doing but over there. Um, and then when they sold, the company that bought them were like, we don't need international, we want Australia and we don't need everything, we just need the sales team. So everything kind of got minimised and shrunk right down in my role. Um, wasn't really made redundant because they would have had to be a payout so it just got very 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 boring yeah <laughs> and uh and they just would turn the pressure up and put unrealistic expectations so eventually i left uh i left there and um and tried to find something else but i'd never gone to university or anything i just sort of worked my way up. I'd started on the phones and actually I started door-to-door sales, then got into phones and then sort of worked my way up into operations and thing, and um, became a manager, operations manager and everything. Uh, so I'd always go to an interview and be, be down to two people and the other person had, had a piece of paper. Yep. And it was always through you recruitment the, agencies. You had the experience. Yeah, exactly. And it was always through recruitment agencies and you find out recruitment agencies you know, they just want to minimise risk. So if they put the wrong person forward and they're asked why, they can go, well, this person had the piece of paper. So I thought, well, I'll go to university, get a degree. So I ended up studying at RMIT, um, studying business entrepreneurship. And um, part of that, the capstone course was that you got to use the university's resources to, you know, to invest, investigate starting a business, to go through all the process of writing a business plan and, and doing everything. So. I wrote a business plan for a brewery and called, I think I called it the Sean Ryan Brewery and um, ended up getting a high distinction on that assignment. And then I took, at the end of it, it was like you either, you did that or you did an internship at Deloitte. And I thought I could always get an internship at Deloitte. How often do you get the university resources? So yeah, so I did this um, thing. And then at the end of it, I, um, I just, essentially took my assignment, I changed the name from Sean Ryan Brewery to Killer Sprocket. I went to the bank and I gave it to them and I said, I'd like to start a brewery, this is how much money I need. And um, and they gave me money to start a brewery. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I won't work at Deloitte. <laughs> there you go. And so how did the, how did the you, you've jumped from, straight from Sean Ryan Brewery to Killer Sprocket. How yep. did, where did Killer Sprocket come from? So that actually came from working in the insurance game. So the um, I was part of it when there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of the Royal Banking scandals and all these sort of things. And, um, and, the, and one of the things they did is they put a lot of legislation in. So one of the things they did is they said, any system that touches customer data or anything needs to be registered with ASIC and APRA. You need to put a schematic what it is and all that. So my job was to go through our systems and put in what what they do and, and all this sort of stuff. And because that was never a requirement before, the systems were called stupid things. So we had ILSA and Ethel. Um, the, um, one of the database was um, Show Me The Money, which was, you know, um, and the head of the operations director at the time was like, I can't believe these things, it's such stupid names. I believe we had to put these the ASIC and APRA, you know, can you, you need to give me this schematic. So, you know, I mapped all the things out and, and given it to her. I was walking home that night and I was just thinking, oh, I'd like to write a stupid database name. So I just, for some reason, the killer sprocket just popped in my head. So the next day I get, I get into work and I open up Access and I called it the file, the killer sprocket, and just sort of sat there. I had no idea what the hell it was going to do. I just thought it'd be funny to have a database called that. So I just sat there and, and, and then um, one of the managers came and asked me for a sales report. So I gave it to him because oh, this is great. This is exactly what I needed. I said, oh, did you want to be able to run this um, whenever you wanted to? He goes, oh yeah, I'd love to. I said, oh, I'll put it in the killer sprocket. And he goes, what's the killer sprocket? I said, oh, it's this new uh, reporting database I've just created. 
allows you to run reports like this. So he goes, oh, that'd be fantastic. So the killer's problem, you open it, had a button that just said sales report. You click on it and give you this report. So he was happy as Larry, run this report all the time. And then um, he'd, uh, he came up a few days later and goes, can the killer sprocket tell me this? I said, I can. So I put a second button, <laughs> sales report two. <laughs> Told him some more information. And then, uh, you know, every few days he'd kind of ask for a little bit more information, a little bit more information. And one of the other sales managers saw that this guy's team was kind of performing a little bit better and he'd uh, took him out for drinks and found out that he'd uh, got this thing, the killer sprocket. So he came up to me, can I get access to the killer sprocket? I said, you can. So I gave him access and then it kind of grew and then more and more things. So this thing just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But what I didn't realize is that you shouldn't really build a sales reporting database and access. And if you do, you should actually plan out what it's going to do and have it, you know... Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. So it would just like like lock up the database and massive records. So uh, it it would like cripple the system with too many people around it. So for about three years, uh, my job was like trying to decommission this thing that I'd built. But, uh, but yeah, no, after this, like six months after building it, the operations director came up and was like, I need a schematic of the killer sprocket. We've got to register with ASIC and APRA. I was like, yay! Um, so then when it was coming to the time for, to register the brewery, originally I was going to call it awesome because every time I was told someone I was starting a brewery, they'd go, that's awesome. I'd be like, yeah, it is. Um, I, uh, but that was taken. Someone in Queensland, I think, had a T-shirt brand called Awesome Beer or something. So everything I tried was taken. And then I just typed in the killer sprocket and nothing in Google popped up. And I was like, okay, well, there we go. So uh, I'd seen the Facebook movie or the social network and in there, they go, not the Facebook, just call it Facebook. So I dropped off the, and I just called it Killer Sprocket. And, um, and you got the trademarks and everything and no one else had it. So for like, even if you kind of spelt it right, like the first three pages in Google was us. So yeah, so that, that's the story behind the name. But then so many people have read into it and found other things and they're like, did you watch Fraggle Rock? So the dog's called Sprocket. I'm like, yeah, well, I yeah, did. Yeah. And Saturday Night it wasn't Live. Killer. Yeah, and Saturday Night Live, there was like a Mike Myers sketch with Sprockets, which I was a huge Mike Myers fan, loved uh, Saturday Night Live. So there's just all these things I'm like, oh, maybe, but I don't know. It was just something that's a stupid thing that popped in my head one day. Have you ever, you know, in this day and age now where we're, where I guess naming protocols are, are fraught, um, yes. are you worried that? The, the company, the firm, is going to come back and go, you're using our IP. That, that's our database <laughs> you you've no, ripped so off the name of. It's funny because I keep getting... Um, I, I did think that originally and then um, it got decommissioned and it's been the company's been sold twice again. So there's only a few people that remember that this thing even existed. Um, and, yeah, I, it's... I mean, I... I, I uh, one of the things that I did actually research when I was at um, at RMIT was if they could do that, and yeah, it's a it's a long bow to draw an access database and a brewery. <laughs> so tell us a bit more. I'm I'm intrigued now about this this whole going to university to learn entrepreneurship, which is kind yes. of the opposite of what you would imagine being an entrepreneur is. It's is, it's, yeah. it's seeing what needs to to be done, and it's being innovative, and it's taking the risk, and it's just going out and doing it yeah. without. Like get necessarily the the, yeah. the formal knowledge um, mm. to do it was that where I guess or was that was that the trigger you needed to 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 flick that switch to yeah I enjoy home brewing mm. one day I'd like to have a business to home brewing could be that business um, it's, I had I'd had other businesses before that uh, I had web uh, like a few web businesses and, and things like that and um, some had gotten almost successful and then business partners had uh had conspired to make it not so yeah it's uh yeah exactly they they'd uh they'd been saying oh yeah i can i'm doing all this work and then you'd go oh yeah i can see a lot of code on your screen it looks like you're doing a lot of work and then when it comes time for delivery and nothing's there and the person hasn't turned up you're like oh crap (laughs) so one of the things i was like i learned is you need to understand everything in your business um, don't just don't have the the core of your business. Don't outsource it. Don't have someone else understanding what makes that tick. 
Um, the other thing is that it's so much work and it's so little money for how much you're actually working. So I said the next business I ran, I needed to, to be something that I was passionate about, that I'd love, that I wouldn't care, that I'll be doing anyway. Like if I just yep. had the time, what I, would, what I would be doing. Like if I just had a weekend where I had nothing else to do, what would I be doing? And it probably would be drinking or brewing beer, you know? So that's, that, that was the other thing. Now, out of interest, who, who was teaching this uh, how to be an entrepreneur class? Were they like well-known entrepreneurs or was it? Uh, no, we, we, we had a few entrepreneurs come in and talk um, to us and give us... Um, so like a guest lecturer yeah, kind of? Yeah, guest, guest lecturer. There was one, one interesting one was uh, Rosslyn Kogan um, from obviously Kogan. Yep. And he started off going, do you think you can actually learn to be an entrepreneur or are you just all wasting your time? And uh, and just kind of told the story, like told the story of how he started and everything and just said, look, most of you are not gonna succeed and are wasting your time being here. There's maybe a few of you that will actually- But, thanks, but thanks for your first. But you can't <laughs> learn being an entrepreneur and I think that this is just an absolute um, sham, but you know, they're paying me, so whatever. Essentially, like to paraphrase which was great. And then there were some other entrepreneurs that would teach classes and they would sort of be the same sort of thing. They'd be like, you can't teach entrepreneurship, which that's the, the course now I think has changed a little bit away from the entrepreneurial stuff because there was... Because it's all sounding a little bit like yeah, a Monty Python sketch. It to was, be honest. it was. It's a bit, you know... The, the reason that I did it and the thing that appealed to me was at the time there was a lot of... There was still a lot of people who had done businesses and they had run a lot of successful businesses and they were giving you their experience and, and that sort of stuff. But a lot of it was the stuff that you need to know if you're running a business. So you can't teach someone to be an entrepreneur, but you can teach someone what Australian tax law is. You can teach someone what basic accountancy is. You can teach someone how not to be sued. You can teach all these things. One of the biggest, biggest, biggest things for me that, that I got taught was how to talk to a bank how money works how like how a bank will see you when you talk to them what when you're writing a business plan what are they actually looking for which essentially worked out in me getting a brewery like without that there is no way that i would have had a brewery without without that course because it got me that piece of paper that it's funny you say you that know, because we, we've got just it. been having this conversation um outside of the, the beer side of things about how uh, the, the modern school curriculum, we, we're teaching kids tons of stuff, but we're not teaching them things like financial literacy or, mm. you know, how credit works or yep. how a bank loan works or yep. how to save or yep. anything like that. And it's, it's interesting you touch on that, that that you would think would be a no-brainer. But I guess for a lot of people, it's that it's all about the passion. I love My, my mates tell me my homebrew is the best they've ever had and I should go professional. And yep. um, I, I reckon I'll be good at running a business, but you don't necessarily think of of those sorts of things yeah yeah and, and that was the thing like we did so the stuff that we covered in that course like in because it's a full proper business degree so it's very close to sort of your management degrees or sort of getting into a um um you know sort of an mba mba-ish thing. yeah yep. so the things you're learning is accountancy commercial law family business um sort of social entrepreneurship there's so many things that, and, and managing people and, and all these sort of things that a lot of, that you don't necessarily know. And for me, it was also being able to walk away with a library of books that if I have a question, I can go to, you know, you've got, a, you've got a reference, <laughs> a, a reference section yeah. that tells me actually, okay, this is Australian qualified information that I can read and understand. Yeah. So... Killer Sprocket at this stage is now, it's a business plan. You've, you've done, I guess, what um, uh, what James Watt from BrewDog, I guess it's, it's kind of their formation story where he you know, walked into one bank and, yep. and, and said that this other bank is going to give me a million dollars at 3%, you need yep. to better it, and they did. Yep. You've kind of lucked into, okay, didn't expect that to work. You've now got the cash that you've asked for to yep. start a brewery. Yep. Where does Killer Sprocket go from there? Because we're now 2012. Yes, 2012. And as we sit here now, it's 2020, and you've only just got that brewery. Yes, I know. So, so, so tell us the, 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 
the Killer Sprocket birth story? So yeah, well, it was actually um, you guys actually played a part in it. So I was one of the things I wanted to do is obviously research the heck out of the industry because just talking to people at a, a showcase, they're like, "Yeah, hey, it's easy, you can do it." Yeah. It's the same as when you have kids. You have yeah. someone with kids, they're like, "Yeah, hey, it's easy." Yeah, make it up as you go along. Yeah, they don't come no, with instructions no booklets, but how hard is it? Kids are fine, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> no one remembers having a baby because you're too tired to remember. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and then when you have it, you're like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you go back to your friends, they're like, I've gotcha. <laughs> so um, that, that's, that's sort of what it was. So I wanted to, to research. So I was listening to um, a lot of sort of podcasts. I'd been, I'd, I'd done podcasts sort of years ago in the early 2000s with mates. So I got a lot of information through podcasts. So I was listening to the brewing network in the States. Yep. And I was like, well, I need to know, like that's Zimbabwe uh, like, Zenership talking about staying heretic and all that sort of stuff. Like I need to know Australian stuff. So I got into iTunes and I was like, Australian uh, beer news and Australian brews news popped up. I'm like, yep, close enough. So I started listening to it and I was like, all right, these these guys sound like they know what they're talking about, and then I think at the time, like um, Stone Wood was a new brewery, and right, <laughs> you know, wow, yeah, all these yeah. sort of things, and I just I just remember listening to it. So I'd be I'd be listening to sort of how these you know how this sort of stuff was going, and I'd be reading things and listening to stuff. So at and, the time, and it didn't put you off. Well, no, <laughs> it 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 didn't at the time. It was a very different sort of industry at the time. There was a lot of. Um, uh, yeah, there was so little. There wasn't that many breweries at the time. It was sort of that starting of that of the boom. The third, the third wave. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Um, and what was interesting was there was just that kind of um, wave of um, contract and gypsy brewing, which hadn't hadn't really been pushed in Australia up until that point. I don't believe it was really sort of Hawthorne. Um, um, Oh, blanking on the name, the East Ninth Brewing. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys, Effen. Uh, there was just all these like brands that were popping up and, and contract brewing and things like that. So I sort of started doing some some research on that and where did they, these beers come from? It turned out most of them came from Southern Bay. So and then I was like, all right. So started sort of you know looking at the Southern Bay and emailing them and things like that. So I get this email from this funny guy called Steve Henderson. Don't call him that. Little brackets Hendo. And then uh, and then oddly enough, that week this episode pops up in my feed, that Henderson kid from uh, from Bruise News and it was you guys talking to, to Hendo and I was like, oh alright. So I you know listened to that and I'm like, oh okay, that's how it is and then um, sort of and I think you guys were talking about uh, another podcast talking about sort of getting branding right and, and all these sort of things of where so I could kind of see and, and apply where those things had like where other brands had gone wrong and where to sort of you know yep. to steer my ship and you're kind of at, the, at, at that advantageous point where there's enough breweries that you can learn yep. from the mistakes of but there's also not too many that you become yep. just lost in the, the white right. noise that's right and and to me I was the thing that used to drive me crazy was you'd get these breweries that would pop up, these brand new breweries would come up and they'd go, we're, we're launching a new brewery and we're sick of the mainstream macro lagers and we're independent and we're doing things differently and we're launching a pale ale. And you go, I, you can't find a pale ale? There are so many pale ales. And I was like, and to me, I was like, I just, it did my head in. So I was like, I was, I'm starting with an amber or a stout, like I'm not, I want to brew what you can't actually find. Like, so have these become your go-to styles? Yeah, so Amber Because was... we're not that far away from, I don't even like Carlton Draft, but then all I drink is Carlton Draft. Now you've jumped to Amber slash yeah. Russian Imperial Stout. Yes, that's right. It was. It did seem like a pretty quick sort of transition when I thought about it. Like it... So, so you were, to be fair, you were true to the adage that a lot of brewers have, which is, I, I want to brew beers that I like to drink. Like, yes. I don't want to brew a beer that's just for mass market that's appeal. Right. So you've done it time, the yeah, right yeah. way in, in that yeah, respect. Yeah, that's right. But an amber ale, I guess the only other classic example that I can think of is, is Mountain Goat with, yeah. with Hightail. That's right. And that was a different type to oh, And James Squire. And, and James Squire. Well, that's the The nine thing. tails. So you get... And everyone remembers James Squire being 
so much more maltier and so much different. It probably isn't. <laughs> like it's the same, you know, with any beer that you drink after a while, you go, oh, that was that was so much different when I, you know, I've changed it. But um, I remember the first time I had, and I think James Squire was the sort of the first craft beer that I had. And it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is incredible. You know, it was malty and different and had flavor, you know. Um, so that was a big one. And then uh, 5 AM Saint by Brewdog and the Rogue Amber yep. also were, were big influences on me. So the amber that I wanted to do, and, and you know, Hightail as well, but Hightail was sort of a more light amber to what I was sort of really sort of after. I wanted that dark amber, that real malty, caramel, chocolatey, you know. Yep, and Dave always referred to his as a, bit, a mongrel bastard, I think was the wording he mm. used, because it was kind of, it was that an English style brown amber, but yep. with the American hop presence that yep. gave it that bit of... Uh, foot in both camps yeah 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 which is sort of that that was the same sort of thing that we were uh, and was the idea to just start that's were you thinking portfolio at this stage or were you just thinking just get a beer out there how, um, did, how did that work yeah i i think it was portfolio because at the time big by going to sort of breweries and and you know sort of those, those events you'd see the range so to us it was that like rogue like it was just yeah, if we can make a whole bunch of different beers. So that that was definitely the portfolio. So does that change your mindset in terms of how you're going? You can't just say, oh, I'm going to make a really great amber ale. You've got to then position that as part of a range of, of beers. Does that affect the way that you create the recipe? Not, not necessarily. It was more the fact of, I think for us it was, we wanted to always be malt driven because that's the way, every time I brew, that's the way I'm thinking initially is I'm thinking the malts first and then the hops sort of balance out those, yeah. those malts. That's just the way I've And it's fair to say, 2012, when Killer Sprocket starts, we're really at the pointy end of hops are awesome, yeah. more hops is better than yeah. slightly less hops and it's all about yeah. we're starting to get an appreciation for big IPAs and... Mm. Um, we, we know the names of hops and that yep. sort of thing, and it's really a hop-driven... Hop is, hops is what makes us different to mainstream. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Where, for me, the malt, to me, was the difference between mainstream because drinking something like that's where that flavour was, that real yeah. sort of, you know. So that, that that's so refreshing always, to hear you say that. Yeah, that's, that, was, that was my sort of take on it, and that's what I couldn't find because I didn't want to... I always had that attitude of, like, if someone's doing something well don't cut their lunch don't go and do what they're doing because hashtag me too yeah because what do you if you really like that beer don't copy it buy it yeah because you're cutting your own lunch as well yeah, as theirs yeah so that, yeah. that was that was always my my thing so it was always that sort of malt thing and then i think the second beer we did um so so I sort of jumped ahead a bit so if we did like we so we started off when we brewed we did it at um southern bay, southern bay yep and then um contract brewed there and then we got sort of wind of uh, of another brewery that would allow us to put our own tank in and be able to brew ourselves and that was an amazing you know an amazing opportunity yeah. um which then opened up other abilities and that was uh, did we call it um partner brewing or toll i think the new zealanders perhaps i don't know toll brewing where's where, where you you all share the brew house, yep. but you have your own fermenters. Yes, right. Yeah, is that, that yeah. was the model. That yep. was the model. Yeah. So we had the, our own fermenters, but we shared the brew house and the packaging. So it it, it because the fermenters are what holds everything up, you know, and that was that was great. So from that we were able to then expand. So till then it was going to be like we couldn't see past being able to do amber, but then once we got that tank, we were able to do different ones. So the next one was Bandit, which was a Peated, the peated, yeah, yeah a peated pale, uh, ale. pale ale, which we can now call peated ale because people get us get on that it's not pale enough, or I'm sorry, forget it, it's peated ale, it's smoked beer. Just <laughs> I figured if you just make your make up your own style, people can't argue with you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, and once again, that was from I just couldn't find something like that, and it's actually another Bruce News episode. You guys were talking to the guys that. Uh, UC boys and they said that they got hate mail for um, Rex, Rex Attitude yeah. and I was like I, I want hate mail I want hate mail 
And then I got hate mail. I hate getting hate mail. It upsets me. <laughs> so then I've got to keep telling myself, no, 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 that's why you actually did it in the first place, you idiot. You expect you should expect that. So, um, and was that just that there were people buying your beers because they liked the amber, didn't understand the peated the, the smoke side of yeah, things, or I, I think it's and how did you deal with it? I there was enough people who got it that really loved it, so I would just tell people like it is a polarized. So, so they would fight your battles for you effectively, like in terms of the the online space, the social media. It's still to this day is still the only beer that sells by the case. Yeah. Like people will buy, like I'll get orders for like a mixed six or six of this, six of that. I don't think I've ever sent out a six pack of Bandit. I've only sent cases. People will buy buy it by the case. It's a weird, it's such a weird thing. But it also must be really nice to to validate. It is, because it's what I- decision. It's what I would look for if I was going out. I would be buying that yep. kind of beer because it's to me it's it's great. Um, I want that different flavour. I want that different taste. My father-in-law, it's one of his favourite beers, and he'll have it in summer after mowing the lawn because he doesn't taste smoke anymore. Like it's yeah, this dry yeah. bitterness that you get. Like the first time you drink it, it is very very smoky. And it, it's oppressive. It's aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but it what are you doing? Changes to so quickly, and then to like now. Anytime I brew it, I need someone else to taste it because I never, I don't taste the smoke in it anymore. So I'll get someone that hasn't had it before. I'll go, can you taste this? And they go, oh, I'm like, all right, I've made it right. Thank you. <laughs> Tick that box. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, so it, it was that um, to build a portfolio of malt-driven different types of beers. So every beer that we've launched has been malt first and then, or something to sort of complement the malt or to, to balance things out that people aren't really doing. So there's that, then the next one was rye and it was sort of, we had um, the recommended amount of rye that you should put in a beer and we doubled it. Um, and that was, and that really came out of brewing, as I said, you know, we were, we were at Cavalier. Um, they allowed us to put a tank in their brewery. So it was us, um, I know it's a story that's probably been told quite a lot. Exit, was, brew cult. Uh, us, yep, us, exit, yep. brew cult, and kaiju. Kaiju, yep. And Cavalier all sharing the one uh, one factory, which is lovely. Um, and then there were other people that would sort of come and go and rent tanks. Um, we were the ones that actually owned the tanks in there. And then there would be people coming in and renting tanks. And one of the um, people that were often in there was Dayton when he was starting yep. out. He had, and he had red eye rice. So... I had, um, when I was making the rye, I had, Dayton was a master with rye. So he taught me how to brew with rye without getting stuck mash and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, then- Tasting too yeah, peppery, exactly. spicy. That and also just how you don't mess up your, how you don't get a stuck mash, how you don't end up clogging your mash tun. Um, and then I wanted it to be really aggressively hopped. So I had Nat to, from Kaiju telling me how to balance my hops out and do a really good dry hop on that thing. So, so was there a little bit like, a, I guess, um, the opportunity to, to bounce ideas off people who were brewing very different beers to you, but then that you could apl- teaching you lessons that you could apply to yeah. your own beers down the track? Yeah, and it was, it was amazing because none of us were brewing the same beers and it was incredible. So you'd have, you know, you'd, you'd go in there, you'd have Exit doing their Saison, which is still, to, to me, to this day, is still my favourite. Gold standard. Saison. I just absolutely love that Saison. If anyone tells me I don't like a Saison, I'm like, just go get Exits and, and then... Fans of, fans of Bridge Road will probably fight you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I... But, you know, to each their own. They're different styles of Saison. Yeah, yeah. As um, well. Exactly, exactly. I, I just absolutely love that that Saison. And um, and then you had... You know, like Hendo was doing some, you know, some crazy hoppy other sort of weird beers as well like he did that pepper steak porter and, yep you know talk about hate mail for a beer like he was getting <laughs> some he did um what's that other one he did the balsamic vinegar beer. oh yeah, yeah oh yeah. my god that was um no, we used to look at the the comments there were some crazy ones coming through acid acid freaks acid freaks that's yeah. the one and then you know and then you had Nat with you know west stripe behemoth and all those sort of things that he was coming out with was incredible. Um, and without giving away the numbers, Sean, um, obviously you've made the move from contract brewing 
Was that, and then go into Cavalier. Yeah. Was that because you wanted that, the hands, to, to, I guess to make it more your beer rather than just put in an order uh, and get a call when it's ready? Mm. And without giving away, you know, confidential information, was it cheaper to Gypsy Brew at Cavalier than it was to... To Contract Brew? Yeah. To Contract Brew? Yeah, it is because... Or was it more about the control of your Well, there's both things. There's both things. The first one is that, yeah, to have keys to the brewery to go in, check your beer, brew when you want to brew. If it, you know, if you had a... The first time we made the beer um, at Southern Bay, there was a delay getting Amarillo. Um, So we lost our spot. Yeah. And that delayed us... I believe six months was the delay from when we originally launched to when we actually got beer out. It was a six month delay because we couldn't get Amarillo, and it, and it was only which delayed. would be a kick in the ass too if yeah. you've if you pre sold that beer. Exactly, and it, so it was only like, and we we were lucky because it was the first we we'd never done anything before, so no one was waiting on it, so that was okay. But had we had orders, that would have killed us. If that was our second batch, we would have. You know, we'd have been dead in the water immediately. So, and and like the Amarillo was delayed. I think it was two weeks or three weeks. But a spot in the queue. A spot come in up. the queue. Had to, I had to go back to back of the line. Um, so that was one thing. Is that I could just wait two weeks. It was my tank. So you just wait till there's the brew house is free, which you know was going to be a few weeks, and you and you're back in. Um, the other thing was you've not got that tank. Doesn't need to be turned over as quickly. So when you contract, you know, contract brewers are, you know, they they need to turn those tanks over to be making their money. So they're trying to get it fast. Like if you just want it to sit for a la- little bit longer, if you're just a little bit concerned, maybe it has VDK, you're not really sure, but yeah, it hasn't really passed the VDK tip. Like- You've got that control. It. And look, yep. Southern Bay are great. And they, and they, like they would, I, they would do VDK tests. Uh, I'm saying other. There's other contract um, brewers out Options, there that, yeah. you, that that I've heard that that, that have rushed things through. Um, but so that, so what what was the next step for for Killer Sprocket after Cavalier? Because it's a yeah, while so, since you finished there and, and so opened up here as we are today. It was so that was the thing. So we we all kind of sold our tanks at the same time. So Kaiju and Exit uh, got their brew together. Yep. Um, Hendo uh, sold his tank and I think actually it was he went back to Gypsy and then we sold our tank and signed the lease on this but the venue where we are was in such bad shape that it took us a lot longer than we thought. It, just in terms of described. the building itself? Or yes, the building itself. Council, DAs. So when when we got in here, the first rain flooded the entire place. So right. we found out, okay, we need to fix the roof. Um, then we found out that the drainage um, had, hadn't actually been dug properly. So then the next rain flooded it again because it didn't actually drain the water it just allowed a nice convenient path to come straight through um there were holes in the in some of the walls that a cat could walk through so and and just to paint the picture so we're in we're now in an industrial area in Bayswater north it's never this space has never been a brewery it's all pretty much there's 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 mechanical works there's engineering there's manufacturing yep there's a commercial lawn mowing company that take up four of the seven sheds uh, here um, and they love to dig giant holes in the uh, in the driveway as anyone that has visited us will, uh, will attest to. It is, also it's challenging it, it can for, be. for the Kia Serato because I, I can actually go down one of the potholes and come <laughs> up the other side. Yeah it's uh, it's been, it's good to, to, you can hear when someone's coming, you hear this big crunch and you're like someone's on their way. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some people come a little bit too quick and launch themselves. Yeah. It's like, oh, no. Um, so, so, yeah, so, 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 so it was a fair bit of refurbishing. Yeah. And, then, and then council was just, um, we're the second brewery uh, in this council. So the first so one was a public brewery, which is a completely oh, different okay. beast. Oh, it's because we're Bayswater North, so we're in uh city of Maroondah. Yeah. yeah, so the actual border because is behind us. 
Yeah, because the city, yeah, the city Knox, of Knox. Yeah, is, and they've got a lot more breweries. So yeah. They have gone through the dance a little bit more. But um, public brewery, for anyone that's been there, is a lot of things. There's the brew pub, there's the brew on premises, and there's a bottle shop. The bottle shop. shop, yeah. So, you know, they've got a kitchen, they've got a lot of stuff. So when we opened, they were like, oh, you need a tavern license. Like, well, not a tavern. We're a brewery that has a, you know, a tasting room. So, so this just, is where a council is comparing what they think is like for like because you're both yeah. breweries. Yeah, essentially they just, than... they've not had to deal with it before. Yeah. So they yep. don't okay. have anything to go by. So they're just trying to, they're trying to do the best that they can, but there's no... So does your experience and skills prepare you for this? Not really because you can't, you can't tell a council... To, you were going to say you can't argue with stupidity, <laughs> weren't you? No, no, but no, you no. Cleaned no. up in case they're I was, uh, I was actually, well, I was really fortunate that the person that was assigned to us is a home brewer and was really on our side. But they, you know, a council, it's not one person. It's yeah. A, they, they've got to do things by committee. And you've touched on something that caught a few other brewers in the past, and I, I think even um, well, Cavalier when they first started originally were going to be somewhere different, and the council just had no concept whatsoever. Yeah. So they ended up moving um, th- th- back in the the very first days. Um, is that it's difficult for them sometimes to to see it as a food producer rather than well it's beer so therefore we're going to go into it i guess with a with a scowl rather yeah. than a what, yeah. what can we do to help you yeah and we've been we, we were actually lucky on something because it took us so long we got because we were storing beer here because we actually got um excise is very easy to get approved because tax office likes their money yes so we got that immediately <laughs> so we were bonded which means we could store beer which we did. Oh, uh, so you could, yeah, okay. So we were a bonded um, premises and we were a food premises. So we hadn't put the brewery in. So when they came to inspect it, they were inspecting it to say, well, we're storing stuff here. And then they kind of, not forgot about us, but they kind of just sort of, they didn't hear anything for a while. Like there wasn't any, you know, we, there wasn't any news, good or bad. Like it just went along so they had no complaints they had no problems no, no objections to so, the exactly. application so yep. by the time we actually built things there was we were an ongoing concern like we'd been here for three years you know so it, it that sort of moved things a little bit quicker i think yep. the fact that it wasn't we're moving in and we're doing this now it was that we we've already been here we're just now doing the brewery and yep. it was always said that we were going to do the brewery, but we were just fixing things up and we were doing the stuff that they asked. And, and, and as long as we kept going, um, but it's still crazy. Like the council stuff, they kind of give you these, they give you these um, documents of things that you need to get and they give you approval to get approval. And it's- You've got permission to go and ask for yeah, permission. It, it was unbelievable. <laughs> so we got this thing that said, you've got permission to do it, but just when you do it, you just need to make sure you have the permission. I was like, but is this I'm the permission for the to permission. get? Yeah. I'm asking you to do it. They're like, yeah, but when you're doing it. I'm like, but I'm doing it now. No, like, yeah, but you haven't done it yet. I'm like, yeah, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm doing it now. Yeah, but once it's in, then you need to... Like, but then when it's in, it's in. I'm like, yeah, but then once it's in, then we can see it. Do you sometimes wish you were still doing stand-up comedy? and Because yeah, people are just yeah. giving you material. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like... So we got the final actual approval... The, like the final, I think it was from the water, um, like the trade waste and everything, the actual final, final, yes, 100%, you're good to go, came as we were mashing in. I got a phone call that essentially said that once I'd finished you mashing to in, mash in, I can dump the rest down the, like, I, right. you know what you I mean? Right, you could use the, I can, I can the facilities. Wash, I can yep. wash everything. Okay, <laughs> very handy. And then looking into, in a in delicious timing, um, you... Uh, flicked out the invite so we're finally on yep. the we're going to do a, a, a public launch an opening which was kind of just before COVID that's right yeah yeah wonderful time great but how's it has it gone <laughs> like if we compare it to say and for people who know um you know an industrial sort of area um there's a parkland at the back there's residential yep. sort of around but it's not 
on the way to anything. It's not you don't drive past it. You can't see it from the from yeah. the road. So in that respect, it's a little bit different to say the public brewery that yeah. we've, we've we've name checked, which is in a uh, I guess an activity precinct yes. already where there's retail and shopping and cafes and and that sort of thing, and then residential sort yeah. of behind it. Um, who are your customers? So a lot of the locals have um, have been great. So. People on the Oval will see, with the roller doors open, they'll see the beer fridge um, and sort of, you know, sticky beak and go, up. Oh, I need to come there. Uh, we have like sort of an A-frame sign we put out that yep. says, you know, brewery, take away beer. People Googling, there's a lot of people that are Googling breweries um, okay. in the area. Yep. So yep. that's, a lot of people have found us that way. Um, You're opposite a, a fairly well-established uh, sports club. Yep. Here. Don't get that many... From, um, Not that, well, the season's being well, cancelled exactly for the time right. being. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, would you look at, just out of interest, look at things like a, you know, a sponsorship opportunity or, um, you know, supplying the bar or yeah. doing a tasting or something? Yeah, that's something we'd, we'd, be, we'd be looking at um, once, obviously, everything sort of gets back up and running. Um, and here's the, big, the million dollar question. So where's Killer Sprocket in, in five or ten years? Are you looking at being a, a local brewery for, for this particular area? Do you have... You know, interstate ambitions. Do you have national taking well, over the world been, ambitions? We've actually been interstate. That's 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 what has kind of kept us afloat. Um, and and with this whole sort of COVID thing, uh, if we didn't have the fact that we were already like we started as um, sort of that interstate brewery, like we got in New South Wales and Queensland quite quite sort of quickly when, when once we launched. Um, and that's, being a production brewery has kept us sort of afloat in yeah. this time. So a lot of people had known us from that. Um, we've probably sold, I'd say probably a lot of our market is more Queensland than Victoria at the moment actually, and it has been for the last few years. Um, we've got an amazing um, partner um, in in Queensland. We've got um, Calibre Craft Beer, you know, Dan Rickard is an absolute legend and um and is been sort of partnered with us and and has been by our side for years. So um we along with uh, Red Hill Feral. Yeah, well um, Red, see Red so Red Hill when we started was Red Hill, us, uh La Serene, uh Kawinda, I think, was still yeah. going as well. Um Cavalier and um, and Brewcolt, and that's how we got obviously got yeah okay. onto them, and um and now there's you know the Red Hill Exit uh, is with them, Three Ravens. It's I love going up to Queens. I love the uh, the caliber events. Like it just, Bruce Vegas is like my number one favorite beer festival because it's just us just hanging out and just you know. And it gets you out of the cold weather in Melbourne. Oh, it's the best. I was gutted that this that was the that's the biggest problem with COVID. It was that it impacted. Bruce Vegas, that was the worst. <laughs> no, we'll get giddy up and double up for next year. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think having known you since the early, very early days of um, going out and doing stories for Bruce News, and uh, I'm pretty sure we met at um, at Cavalier. Um, I was particularly thrilled when I saw that you were ranged in Dan Murphy's, for yeah. example. So is that how how does that come about? So that was the Burvale. Dan Murphy's, I believe, okay. or the website. Yeah, well, that's that's one of my locals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was actually a, um, yeah, just the beer buyer, the sort of the guy that got sort of given the task. The craft of, and portfolio yeah, or whatever. Yep. Yeah, he was sort of like, you like beer, you can be the beer guy. Um, just liked my beer. So he started, like, harassing the head office of yeah. Dan Murphy's to say, I want to range Kellis Brockett. Uh, and look, we, should, we should give him props because, and the reason I bring it up is that back in the day, mm. it had to be, you had, you had to sell your soul. Yep. You also had to provide, you know, 100,000 cartons yep. at a time sort yep. of thing. So it wasn't available to everyone. Yep. Whereas now I, I think at least they've, they've realised that we can personalise yeah. our local, our local yeah. stores. Yeah, so he, he really liked our beer. So he kept hassling them. And then their head office was near True Brew, which used to be in South yeah. Yarra. Yep. So they used to go to True Brew for drinks, and uh, Anton used to carry Kill Sprocket a lot. 
and it was because I was part of his bear club thing. Remember yeah. he used to do these things? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I, I did a deal with him where I was like, I'll just swap you with Keg for beer club for bear club so he like I would was just like a membership yeah, yeah okay. I just give him beer so it meant that I was always on at his damn store because he, he got he got free beer and he just had to give me beer so they would be drinking my beer there so then that sort of came about that way right um that I ended up getting ranged at, at, at that Dan Murphy's um and then yeah it, it sort of it, it happened for a while and then it he the the guy that was at that Dan's left and it's sort of gone through new managers and things. So it's not there at the moment. We're online with the Endeavour um, um, drinks thing where yep. they, people can order on the connections, which I don't know if a lot of people kind of are taking advantage of it. For us, it's amazing. Like they, you can, if you go on the Dan's website and you find um, craft breweries on there, you'll see there's like a little symbol that says comes direct from the supplier. And when they order it, it comes from us. Right. So I've got beer in the fridge that is... Earmarked to go out yep. to yeah, an address. That's not, right. Not to a, a, yep. goes a store direct, and yeah, then goes to the... Yeah, directly to the, pick, yeah, to the okay. customer. So the customer jumps on Dan's, orders my beer. Dan sends me the order directly. I package it up here. A delivery driver comes, grabs it out of my fridge, and it goes straight to the customer. Yeah, okay. And... Um, and the delivery on it is for me like the customer doesn't pay any delivery and my delivery fee is cheaper than anything else i got i sent a case of bandit oddly enough to uh to the northern territory wow the other day and it's like oh, there's no way that i could that i could ever think about ranging my beer in the northern territory but it's just that's opened that up so yeah. um yeah that's been that that's that's been great that they've been able to move quickly with that um yeah. So, Sean, before we finish up and let you go, because you've got uh, beer to brew, that's not going to brew itself. Um, what's next for Killer Sprocket? Where to from here? Yeah, so what we're looking to do is this uh, is, now that we've sort of built the brewery, we're kind of getting used to running running our own brewery. So we've been gypsy for so long. So between building this, uh, like, you know, getting the lease on this and actually being able to get the brewery in and get all the council approval and everything, we gypsy brew so many different places and um and learn a lot but now we're learning all those things that they had to do so um yeah, yeah. you know all all the equipment stuff all the balancing of these things all that kind of stuff that that we're getting that we're now getting uh head, head around which is great um the other thing is that my wife also brews so if you've had the juniper the hay juniper or the Berlinweiss, um, that's Andrea's beers. So means she can start brewing again. Um, when we're at Cav, she would brew quite a lot with Miriam. Um, so she'd be able to put out beers. Um, she didn't brew that much when we were sort of gypsy again. Um, so she's really looking forward to getting back in the brewery and doing a lot more beers. Um, and also repaying that sort of gypsy lifestyle by having other gypsy brewers in here. We've already had one, um, one gypsy brewery. Okay. So oh, cool. First. So we're kind of yeah, yeah come so, full circle. Yeah. So um, Muzz, uh, Muzz Francis with Bandy Wallop. Okay. Um, has put a put a beer in tank. So he's the first sort of gypsy brewer that's come in and um, and yeah, we uh, canning his beer at the end of the month, which would be great. Now you don't have a canning machine. You're no. using. Yep, we've got mobile canning, but we are getting a we've got a canning machine on order because. That's one thing about this COVID thing that's taught us something is that we need to get a canning machine. Yeah. Because <laughs> yep. it's a thing. So, um, yeah, so that, that that's the future is sort of doing that. And then once we've sort of got the handle, we'll look at sort of expanding out and, um, and sort of looking at maybe a brew pub or a bigger premises, things like that. At the moment, people can come in for tastings. Um, I'll be able to open up and actually have people having a beer here again. In a couple of weeks, which yep, will be yeah. So once the the next yeah, stage of restrictions, yeah, which is we're really looking forward to that again. Um, because you have to wait because you you don't because we're not doing well because we don't have a kitchen. So it was, yeah. if you were serving food but you needed to actually have a kitchen, you couldn't just have Uber Eats come and exactly. bring the food. Yeah. So now you can. So that'll be great. So, so from a couple of weeks' time, uh, Saturdays from one till seven. Yep. Uh, yep, so I think we'll probably, yeah, we'll do one till six, but then if people are kicking on, we'll okay. we'll, 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 go. we'll put a link in the show notes yep. anyway so that people and, can um, find and it. And I think we'll probably open up on sort of Fridays for after work drinks as well for people. Um, but yeah, 
uh, people can just uh, can jump on Google us and find out when we're open and come down and have a have a beer. Excellent, mate. All of us at, uh, at Radio Brews News wish you all the best. It's great um, to have followed your journey uh, and also, I guess, to have you in our portfolio as one of the guys who listened to us um, and didn't take our advice and, and went ahead and, and built a brewery anyway, despite what we were yeah, saying. Yeah, well, it was, it was, the advice was do your, you know, do your advertising thing. And I think it actually bit me in the ass because I did, I went out and I got a really good designer and did a really good label. We put it out and not, a bunch of people thought that we were like a like a Coles or someone because no uh, one knew who we were. So they just saw this you're thing. A, a house label. I believe uh, James from Crafty Pine actually had one of my beers in his cupboard for ages and didn't actually drink it because he thought it was someone <laughs> gave it to him. What if even they knew? Someone gave him and he thought, oh, this is one of them fake craft yeah. beers. And then, uh, and then someone was like, no, 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 they're, they're, they're actually the real. real. They're real. And then he drank and went, Oh mate, I'm, and he came up to me and said, "I'm so sorry. I thought you were, I thought you were fake." <laughs> so don't don't rely on the media. Don't rely on the media at all. We're we're useless to you. Do, do your own thing. Uh, Sean Ryan from Killer Sprocket, mate. Thanks very much. Finally, for uh, getting around to uh, to being able to chat with us on Beer as a Conversation. Thanks very much. And that was. Sean Ryan from Killer Sprocket, a terrific bloke and making some really good beer. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud sponsors of Beer is a Conversation. Now, don't forget, before we knock off, if you like Radio Brews News, you can throw us a bone in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, you can drop a few shekels in the cup or leave a one-off bag of cash, small unmarked bills, please, if you wouldn't mind. Um, And you can also review us, share, hit the like button, all that sort of stuff to let other people find it as well. Details are in the show notes. Now, I know some of you do read the show notes and for that, I do thank you.